Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Bring, bring it fast. Bring it to the bank. Bring it fast. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable podcast. I'm your host today, Jake Jackman, standing in for Kevin, who is um, away today. Um, you can get us on the show on Twitter at EPL Roundtable, or you can email the show, EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Sam Cart. I'm a Crystal Palace supporter. You can find some of my work on the Eagles Beak fan site, and my personal Twitter handle is Sam double underscore Carp. Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Hi, I'm Russ Goldman, host of Cottage Talk, a podcast all about Fulham, and you can actually follow the show on Twitter at Cottage Talk. Thanks for joining me today, guys. We'll start off uh, with the big match of the weekend, uh, Liverpool beat to Manchester City, going somewhat against the uh, the script um, with Liverpool obviously struggling this season. Just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the game and how the result makes you feel about the title race. Do you think that... Liverpool a sort of backing intention, or are they too far off it? And what do you think this means for City and the other teams near the top of the table? Yeah, it was a really good game, actually. Um, I kind of went into it half expecting City to kind of dominate, walk over Liverpool a little bit, very much in keeping with the form book. You know, Liverpool have been, you know, struggling to meet their standards so far this season, um, whereas City have kind of been carrying on their merry way a little bit, and obviously. Liverpool had quite a few injuries going into the game, so I think quite a few people probably weren't expecting it to be quite as close as, as maybe these fixtures have been in the past few seasons. But I think, you know, as soon as as soon as the game kicked off, like the intensity was there, Liverpool were flying into challenges, the crowd looked really up to, up for it. Um and I actually was I was watching with a few mates and I, the thing that I said to them was that in a weird way it almost felt a little bit like when a team in the middle of the table plays against one of the top sides. Um, it felt very much like Liverpool had kind of tried to make it into that sort of, you know, we're the underdogs in this. Um, we're sort of, you know, you know, we've got everything to kind of lose here. Whereas, whereas City going into it, it, it maybe didn't feel quite like that. Um, so yeah, I think I, it just felt like Liverpool kind of put everything on the line and um ended up kind of I think they ended up deserving to win it to be honest I can't really remember Allison having to make too many saves whereas I feel like Liverpool created a fair few openings during the game which were kind of warranted the result that we had in the end um whether it necessarily changes things in the title race I'm not so sure um you know City you can maybe say look a little bit more fallible this season um you know they've dropped you know the standard that they've set they've dropped points in games that you would maybe expect them not to drop points in in previous seasons. So obviously Villa, um, Newcastle, and you know even today um, they just looked kind of off it a little bit for, for large parts of it. Um, so 
you know, there's there's maybe there's maybe a sense that the Premier League is trying to lure us in with a with a bit of a whiff of a, of a title race. But then there's another side of me which thinks, you know, we could get ten games later from this point and there'll be sort of six or seven points clear. Um, which is kind of what what has tended to happen in, in the last couple of seasons. Um so yeah, I mean I th- I think it's a it's a good result for the title race. It's definitely a good result for Arsenal, um, who got another who obviously got another win today. Um and you know, if you, if you look at Arsenal in, in isolation, you know, they've made some really astute signings over the summer. They've integrated a player back in, in Salva, who was out on loan, um, who has kind of transformed them defensively as well. Uh, and they just look a little bit more resilient, but there's always kind of a sense with them that they might be assigning a, a, an injury or two away from from, you know, maybe kind of relinquishing a little bit of this form that they're on. But um but yeah, for now it's good to see them up there. And I think today's result was good for that kind of competitive element within the league. But there is just still this kind of nagging feeling within myself that, you know, despite what happened today, despite the fact that City are, are a few points off Arsenal at the moment, that we will kind of get another 10, 12 games down the line and the kind of the, the usual order will have kind of reestablished itself a little bit. I don't know what you guys think, but uh, that's kind of my reading of it at the moment. Yeah, I think I'm in general agreement. The game was very good. I do agree. I think Liverpool deserved to win. They just really hit uh, City on the counter quite a few times. It really could have been two or three by the end if Darwin uh, Nunez maybe made a couple uh, better decisions. Um, so I think they really did attack really well on the counter, especially in the second half. Um, I do wonder if City were, are maybe trying to adjust and were maybe a little tad more conservative because they no longer have the... Well, they're trying to make do without the uh, Kyle Walker fix everything button. Uh, having to play the way they do, where they just constrict all, where they just press you to death um, and keep the ball forever, is a little harder when you don't also when you can't take as many risks because you no longer have him just being able to sweep up and fix everything. Um, I do wonder if that will prove to kind of not. I don't want to say neuter. That would be a significant overstatement of what it would do. They're still extremely good, and I think pretty clearly the best team in the league. Um, I do wonder if that could hamper them a little. Uh, in the time that he is out. Uh, as far as the effect of the game in the title race, I think Liverpool are have probably already dropped too many points unless we do think City's taking a step back, and I don't think they are. I know they already dropped some points in some games you wouldn't expect them to, but just on the whole, they look like a buzzsaw. But they look insane. I mean, adding Holland to that team is a bit of a joke. I think they... Uh, I think they could absolutely. I think it's more likely they walk the league um, than most other scenarios. It's maybe not like a more than 50% chance to happen, but I think it's the most likely. It has like a plurality of the scenarios, um, even if it's not like a majority of the scenarios in my head. I think they're really, really good in respect of everyone else. However, they are four points off. They are going to miss Kyle Walker for an extended amount of time. He's extremely important to their team. They are always a Holland injury away from being not a buzzsaw, maybe. So I think they're more like they're much more likely to win the title than anyone else. I think anyone else winning the title would be a pretty significant surprise. If there is anyone else in it, I guess right now it's Arsenal, which is weird coming from me being an Arsenal fan. But like I don't really think we're gonna win the title. I don't think we're at that level. I have some concerns about the depth, especially in like midfield. Even just are all in the team. I have some concerns about the depth, some concerns about uh, how we manage for Europa League. However, I think we've also looked like the second best team this season. I think Liverpool still might be more talented, but they have just looked off. Um, they've 
they've got I don't know how serious Jota's injury is from the end of the game, but if that's serious, then that's another piece down, and they just struggled to kind of find a coherent team this season. So, final, I don't think, I'm not really expecting there to be a title race. We'll see. There may be one in the end. Uh, if there is one, it feels weird for me to say it might be Arsenal, because I don't I don't really believe in that, but we'll see. We, we played very well. Like, we didn't play all that well today. Um but yeah, I think I think it's more likely City walk it than anything else. But I mean, maybe they they have some they have some very small flaws that could prove costly. Well, my thoughts on this is that first of all, I thought it was a very entertaining match, and I'm very impressed with Man City. I, obviously, uh, Holland is uh, unstoppable, but I thought Liverpool did a decent job when they had to defensively. And as you guys have already mentioned, what did Allison really have to do? And uh, just for someone that is just looking at it as a neutral, very enjoyable. I don't think Liverpool's in it at all. I, th- I, I think that they, they've kissed that goodbye a while ago in regards to winning the title. But if I'm looking at it, honestly, Man City has the most talented side and probably Liverpool right behind that. But in my opinion, not always the most talented side wins. I think Leicester City has proved that. So I understand my friend here is not high on Arsenal. I'm going to say it right now on the show. Arsenal are going to win the league. I'm convinced of it based on what I've watched so far. It's not always having the most talent that wins a league. It's a team that plays together. I understand the depth issues. I understand the Europa League. I think the coach that you have, sometimes the student can beat the professor. And I think this is going to be the year you're going to see that. That's just my opinion. I've watched Arsenal a lot. I've watched them play against Fulham. Very impressed. And I think that Liverpool showed that you can play with Man City. Arsenal, I think, are, believe it or not, at times, very hard to beat. So I think it's a two-horse race. And I'm, I'm going to stick right now with Arsenal. That's a, quite a bold shout. Um, I'm going for I, it. <laughs> But I can, yeah, it's a, it's a shame we're not going to see them face off this week, as, as was scheduled before the event uh, that happened earlier this season, in the postponements. Um, but we would have seen that this week, but we're going to have to wait. But um, yeah, that's been Arsenal in a strong position. Um, I think Man City have shown themselves to be a little bit fallible at times. I thought, I thought um, when they played Newcastle near the start yep. of the season, they, 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 they looked quite shaken there when they were attacked. Aston Villa, they didn't look at their best when they dropped points. Uh, and obviously, um, Today they 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 were good, but they they did you, you did see the flaws as Dan said. I think Carl Walker was a quite a big miss, but yeah, I think it, it, I think what the result does today is just adds a little bit more intrigue. I think the majority of people probably still think City will win the league, sure. but having that four point gap, it, it just adds a little bit of, of intrigue. But we'll we'll see where it goes. Um, but yeah, obviously I I can understand Dan's pessimism after the last I don't know <laughs> ten years. <laughs> My entire life, Jake, my entire life, (laughs) considering I did not support Arsenal when they were good. But no, I can understand. But yeah, I think today's result just adds adds a little bit of uh, extra intrigue that maybe we didn't expect to have at at this point in the season. A couple of weeks ago when uh, Man City were just beating everybody. So good to see them lose a match uh, and show themselves to be at least beatable, um, even if it does take a team like Liverpool to beat them. But uh, moving on, we'll move on to three teams in the relegation zone, which... Fortunately, for, for us and Sam, doesn't include Crystal Palace and Fulham at the moment. So we'll move on to those three teams. 
Currently Nottingham Forest, uh, Southampton and Leicester City are teams in the relegation zone. All three managers currently still in post. Um, there have been a couple of changes already this season, but none of those clubs have made a change. Um, do you think that any of those clubs are going to make a managerial change in the next couple of weeks? Um, and do you think any of them will turn it around being um, being that Steve Cooper at Nottingham Forest has no to Southampton or Brendan Rodgers at Leicester? Say, um, say, fortunately for me and Russ, Jake, let's, uh, let's not forget where Newcastle came from. Uh, <laughs> we'll that, but um, yeah, no, I think you know the fact. I think the fact that those three teams are in the bottom three at the moment kind of shows to me just kind of how difficult it is to predict who is going to go down um, this season. I think you know if you went back to the start of the campaign, a lot of people probably would have had sorry, Russ in advance, Fulham and. You know, maybe Bournemouth is the most likely newly promoted side to go down, just based on recent history. Yeah, just based on recent history more than anything. And you know, they're both sitting fairly comfortable, comfortably in mid-table at the moment, and have both kind of showed that you know they have their strengths. Obviously, Fulham have got a Mitrovic who's firing on all fronts. Um, Bournemouth, you know, that managerial change actually seems to have worked, which a lot of people didn't necessarily think would happen um, for now, at least. Um, so I think that has actually given supporters of teams like, you know, Leicester, Palace, Wolves, Southampton, you know, those sides who would usually just slot themselves fairly comfortably in mid-table. It's given us kind of reason to be a little bit more nervous than they might have been coming coming into the season. Because um, all, all of a sudden it kind of feels like it could be any three from, you know, 12, 13 sides that could drop down really. Um, so, yeah, whether we're going to see a managerial change I and mean, the fact that Forest have just given Steve Cooper a new long-term contract suggests that we won't see one there. Um, and I think it's kind of less of a question of whether he's good enough to turn it around. I think it's more a question of has he necessarily got the time, has he necessarily got the players available to him that will give him the best chance of keeping Forest in the league. Um, based on what I've seen so far, I'm not convinced. I think that maybe the World Cup break could be a bit of a saving grace for Forest, you know, given how many players they brought in over the summer. I think that might be the one opportunity that they have to kind of spend a month with the ones who don't end up going to the World Cup anyway, um, just kind of figuring out what they're all meant to be doing together, you know, maybe go paintballing or whatever, have a few socials and just get to know each other a little, be a little bit better because it just, you know, that really was a kind of throwing together a squad at the last minute and, you know, throwing a load of um, try not to swear here, throw a load of stuff against the wall and hope some of it sticks. It's kind of, that's what it felt like with Forest strategy over the summer. So I feel like Steve Keep has been dealt a little bit of a difficult hand there. So I'm not sure it's really necessarily fair to judge him entirely based on what's happened so far. Um, but I think it's, it's quite good to at least see that he's going to be given the time to turn it around. Um, Hassan Hutu is like a really, really weird one for me. I've always held him in quite high esteem perhaps because of the impact he had when he first arrived at Southampton and also because everyone has always had really nice things to say about him. Um, you know, the style he wants his teams to play is quite fashionable. Um, it's very in. Um, and in fairness, like at times Southampton can look really, really good. Um, but then there are other times they just look absolutely dreadful. And I always kind of look at them and wonder where on earth they're getting their points from because it feels as though they're not winning very often and yet you kind of look at the table most of the time and they're sort of 12th, 13th or, you know, maybe that's what people think about Palace as well, but that's kind of the way I often see Southampton and now it's starting to feel like things maybe 
potentially have gone a little bit stale under Hassan Hootel. You know, maybe he isn't necessarily quite as good as people thought he was. And, you know, maybe it is possibly getting to the point of a change there. You know, they've got they've got a new owner in as well who potentially might get itchy feet at some point and might feel the need for a change. So I'm kind of I'm I'm on the fence about him. But one I'm I'm not really on I'm I'm not on the fence about Leicester. I think I don't think there's any question that Brendan Rogers is good enough to keep that side up and kind of push them further up the table. Um you know he's had them on the cusp of Champions League football twice during his tenure there. Um He's had them performing well in other European competitions. And they've, they've come into this campaign on the back of a summer where they've lost some key characters, haven't replaced them. So I think it was always going to be tricky. Um, but I think, you know, my sense at least is that they've got the quality both on the pitch and in the dugout with him to ensure that they'll be fine over the course of the season. Um, weirdly, my only question about that is just like whether Rogers, you know, has higher ambitions than that now it just feels with Leicester that you know they've kind of reached this sort of stage where it feels like they kind of hit that ceiling on the back of that title win where they had the opportunity to get into the Champions League they didn't do it now they're kind of in this position where they've got players on high wages can't really afford to spend loads of money in the transfer window um so kind of have to sort of settle for where they are and rebuild a little bit I wonder if Rogers kind of you know has a sort of stomach for that or if he kind of feels like he's earned his stripes enough to be at a side that is regularly challenge, challenging for Europe and does kind of have the budget to give him the opportunity to do that so in a weird way um <laughs> I don't know if you know if they were to change the manager there then I, I, I don't know if Rogers would be too upset himself either but I, I feel like he's the best man to be in a position at that job at the moment. Three on Steve Cooper probably being safe because they just gave him the new contract extension. And I also think he's really the only one of those managers who I think would be like, yeah, maybe we should sack him. Uh, as far as Southampton, I think they would have been down years ago if they didn't have a manager as good as Hosnell. I think that squad has been subpar for years. They just, I don't think they've done a very good job giving him new talent to work with. I don't think he's a perfect manager, but I definitely don't think he's the problem uh, with that squad. I, I think they've their recruitment just hasn't been good for a while, but he's been able to keep them up anyway. Uh, then for Leicester, I think Brendan Rodgers is absolutely a good enough manager to not have a team rally. I think he's quite a good manager. But unfortunately, he is also um, uh, in Sam's camp trying to swear here. Sometimes he can be a less than likable character after you know a few years with a with a group of people, um, and I think. He, I think that time may have come where he's just kind of outworn his welcome, but Lester don't have the money to sack him. They just, it, that appears to be the case. They just don't have the money to pay out his contract and then pay a, a new manager. Um, so I think if Lester didn't have financial issues, he'd have probably been sacked. Not because he's not a good manager. I think he's a, he is a pretty good manager. He can just kind of, you know, he can wear on a group for a while. I think he, I think the optimal time for both his own career ambitions to leave and maybe, I don't know if Lester would have found a better manager, but his own, his career ambitions to leave were probably like a year, a year, a half ago, a year or a year and a half ago. Um, but he didn't and he's still there and I'm not sure he wants to be there and I'm not sure if the players want him to be there, but no one has the money to like, he's not going to just resign because he, he doesn't want to give up a lot of money, which fair enough. Um, and I don't think Lester are in a position to fire him and then pay another manager. So I 
that's going to be an awkward situation where I think he is absolutely good enough manager to keep them up and do much more than that. And I think the squad is absolutely good enough to stay up and do much more than that. But the vibes are so terrible. And it just seems like no one is happy about the situation where maybe that could snowball to the point where they are actually in trouble. Um, I think they're, in terms of, you know, taking the human element out of it, I think they shouldn't even be worried. But, you know, that is a part of it. And he does. Brendan Rogers definitely has a, a history of um, wearing out his welcomes a little bit. People have not always had the best thing to say about him after an extended period of time. So I think I think both Hospital and Rogers are plenty good enough to keep their teams up. Uh, that doesn't mean they necessarily will, but I don't think I don't think Hospital is a problem at all. Rogers has the quality, but he may be the problem in a different way. Uh, and then for Cooper, I just it kind of seems like a weird thing to analyze right now because he signed a contract extension so recently where I just assume he's not going to get fired. But I also think Forrest are pretty likely to go down. So, uh, yeah, we'll see on that part, on that front. But, yeah. For me, what's interesting is, is someone that has watched a lot with Steve Cooper because of last season. I'm actually a, a fan of his. I, I think he is an up-and-coming manager that I am glad that he got the contract extension. I did not want to see Nottingham Forest get rid of uh, Cooper because I don't like the trend at the the first part of uh, a bad season, you're going to get rid of a manager who actually got you promoted. That I was um, against. So the fact that they gave him the contract extension actually made me very happy, and I think it's well-deserved. I think Cooper is an excellent manager. I think he's been given a very bad hand here by an owner who basically just wanted to build a team with his staff, his recruitment staff. You know, it, it doesn't seem like there's a plan behind it, meaning does this player fit with this player? Is there a style here? It just seems like they went and got the players that they could get, and they didn't care what they spent. I thought they way overspent on Nico Williams. I think Nico Williams is a fine player, but I, I think that they went overboard on their spending. And I don't think it's fair to blame Cooper for this. So the fact that they're sticking by him, which I think because of the contract, I think is a very positive thing because, yes, I truly believe that Nottingham Forest will be 20th and will be going down. I think they are just not a good team at all. I've watched them and uh, it, not that I wish them ill well, but I think that they will be relegated and I think they're going to end up last. But the fact that Cooper will be there, I hope, going down in the championship is a huge positive for them because I truly believe he will get them back up. I think it's a little similar, different style than Sean Deitch. This is a manager that you should be sticking by for at least a few seasons. You went up with him, you should go down with him and then hopefully go back up with him because I think he's that good. So I hope that doesn't happen in regards to Hassenhudel, as you guys were already talking about. He's really helped out Southampton in so many ways, stay in the league and progress in the league. So for me, no, uh, I, I, I hope that doesn't happen. I know where they are on the table, but I don't expect that. The Rogers thing is fascinating because, as you guys have already been saying, he really should go, but he, I doubt that he will go. And uh, I, if there was an opportunity for him to leave, it probably has already happened for him for another job. He will get another job. But for me, I'll, I'll always have this thing with Rodgers because uh, 
Not that I'm a fan of Celtic. I did not like the way he left Celtic to go to Leicester City. So I have no bad feelings if he did get sacked, to be honest with you. But I don't think he will. I think it's a very bad situation. But there's, that's still a quality side. So I think all three managers will be there. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah, it's, it's, I think you've all made a lot of good points there. Um, it's going to be one for to follow as the weeks go on. I think the World Cup might be a, a natural break for some of these clubs to make managerial changes, but we'll We'll see who is uh, in which positions in the table when we get to that. But I was—I did have another topic to talk about, but we'll move on and speak about the three clubs because I don't want to—I don't want to limit our time on that. So we'll move into the to the club section. We'll start with uh, Palace and you, Sam. I was watching, did watch the game yesterday. Unfortunately, I did, I did watch the game. It was—it was, it was terrible. Um, I don't know—I don't know what I sort of feel about Palace at the moment because I thought a lot. I thought Vieira. I, I was a little bit skeptical when you appointed him. He obviously had a very good first season, um, but I'm start I'm starting to watch them now. I think it was the the good first season about you know moving on from Hodgson more than it was about Vieira's quality of the coach. I kind of want to get your thoughts on how he, the the fan base view Vieira at the moment after what has been a a slow start, but admittedly there have been a lot of tough fixtures in there. Yeah, it's quite funny actually. After yesterday's game, there's that um, Scooby Doo meme where. Uh, I think it's Fred unmasking the villain and uh, they were unmasking Vieira and Hodgson was underneath after yesterday's game, which was kind of spoke to how I think a lot of people felt about uh, the match against Leicester because it was just, yeah, as you say, Jake, I'm, I'm sorry you had to sit through that, but if it makes you feel any better, I uh, I sat through it too. Um, so I was I was there with you. Um, it's a bit of a it's, a, it's a tricky one, really. I think everyone is still very much behind Vieira, but I think the overall the overriding sense is that he was let down a little bit during our transfer window, um, mainly in the midfield area, to be honest. Um, you know, I think a, a lot of people feel that we put all of our eggs in the Conor Gallagher basket, um, when in reality we were never particularly likely to get him back to Selhurst Park. Um, we also lost Czech Kiate, who was another regular starter in our midfield three, and and James MacArthur, who was, you know, he was another big part of the success during Vieira's first season. He's he's been injured since the start of this campaign, so you know that's already three kind of regular midfield regular sort of components of our midfield from last season who who aren't there at the moment. Um, we did bring in Czech Dekore, who looks a really good signing, but. There have been times this season where it has looked like he is 
you know, playing in that midfield on his own. Um, and, you know, it's to the extent that Vieira has even sort of been forced to play Jordan Ayew as a number eight on a few occasions, which just kind of tells you a little bit about how light we are in that area. So, yeah, it's it's definitely not been quite as exciting as it was last season. But at the same time, it's quite hard to complain. You know, you mentioned the tough fixtures there. The games that we've lost this season have been against um, City away. Um, even in that game, we went to you know up. Um, we lost to Arsenal, who obviously have only lost one game this season, and then we lost to Chelsea a couple of weeks ago, which was only down to a last-minute goal from that man, Conor Gallagher, very predictably. Um, and in the games against the teams in and around us, we've uh, touch wood anyway. Before we play Wolves on Tuesday, we've you know we're unbeaten at the moment, which is kind of where you would measure your progress rather than necessarily against those teams that are in and around the top six. So you know, while we haven't necessarily been playing. The football that we'd maybe like to to see, um, you know, you can't necessarily hold the results against him. And I think the sort of where we are on the table at the moment is probably where we deserve to be based on the performances so far. So, um, so yeah, I think I think most fans, you know, there's a bit of frustration for sure uh, that we aren't necessarily kicking on from last season. But I think most sensible members of the fan base recognise that you know we're still a couple of players away from where we need to be, and there's kind of I hate to use the phrase like sort of trust in the process, but there is quite a fair bit of trust in kind of the direction that we're going at the moment. Um, and hopefully with kind of like, you know, a couple more transfer windows, uh, we will sort of start to to sort of reap the benefits of that. Yeah, it's interesting to transfers because um, I, th- I think the transfers are just amazing the last couple of years. been really good. Um, you know, you brought in Eze and Elise from the Championship. Decore was... A player that I wanted Newcastle to find as I think he started really well at Palace. Um and and at the back you've got Anderson who Russell know a lot about and, and Guayhi as well. And it's a really solid spine of the team that they've built. So I'm uh, I think it's still a positive place for Palace fans, but obviously there will be growing pains. I just wanted to ask you quickly about your attack uh, at the moment because uh Edward has been playing quite a lot. Um and at the latter part of last season it was Mateta that seemed to be favoured. And and also Jordan Ayew has been playing um, as he has been for years now. He's been re- a regular in the team ahead of Elise. Do you expect those two players to stay in the team, or do you think there's still some sort of there's still some chance for rotation, and maybe um, Mateta and Elise will eventually come into the team um, on a more permanent basis? Uh, the interesting thing is, Elise has been starting a fair bit this season. He was he was injured at the start of it, and then uh, once he got back to full fitness with the team, and then. Uh, dropped out this week, I think, just because Vieira wanted to kind of uh, solid up that midfield a little bit more. Um, he's been playing centrally a fair bit, whereas he's been most effective for us out on the right. Um, but yeah, he did drop down to the bench this week. But I think it's been fairly obvious in the home games, at least, that he, you know, he is going to be starting most weeks. And I think most fans want to see him start most weeks because he is a really, really exciting player whenever he gets on the ball. Um, yeah, Mateta's fell out of favour a little bit, but that's largely down to the form of Edward. Um, I think last season was kind of a bit of a teething period for Edward. You know, coming down from Scotland is never particularly easy. He sort of showed some promise, but also looked a little bit lightweight at times, whereas this season his hold-up play has improved. Um, he's linking play better and also just looks a little bit more of a threat generally in front of goal. Um, so that's kind of the main reason that Mateta's been kept out the side. But I do think there's kind of there is a bit of a wider issue with us going forward, which sounds strange given the sort of 
the wealth of attacking talent we have is I've kind of mentioned with you know Zaha, Eze, Elise, Edward. It's a really attacking side uh, or attacking and exciting side on paper. Um, but you know, even just in the game against Leicester yesterday, we get into that final third, and you know the final pass isn't there. We're a little bit too lethargic. Um, you know, we're not doing. There's a lack of urgency, which it's kind of is it's kind of been the issue so far. We aren't scoring a lot of goals. We aren't creating enough clear cut opportunities. Which just yeah, that does seem to be our issue at the moment. Is that we're kind of relying on you know whether it be set pieces or a moment of magic for our goals when. You know, with that sort of front four, front five that we have, you'd you'd hope that we'd be creating a few more clear cut openings, but it just doesn't seem to doesn't seem to be clicking in that area of the pitch at the moment. So, um, so yeah, hopefully that's something we can rectify a little bit going forward. Yeah, we'll move into Arsenal now, and um, with you down, obviously no game in midweek, but um, I, I guess I'll just sort of give you a, give you an open floor to to talk about the season so far and. Um, where do you think the improvements have been made, whether that's uh, players coming in, uh, a change in style or, or anything, just sort of like natural progression with the younger players? Uh, just sort of interested to know how, how a team could go from missing out on the Champions League like it did last year in quite a disappointing fashion to now be leading the league and, and having won um, all but one game. And the one game you didn't win, arguably with a better team as well. So having a striker with real working legs has been a real big improvement. Gabriel Jesus has been fantastic, and um, Lacazette was really not, especially at the tail end of the last season. He was just, uh, he, he was doing his best. I don't blame him at all. He was just, you know, the age was showing. He's, he just did not moved particularly well. Uh, and Jesus has been a revelation to both his, both off the ball, where he's been an excellent presser, but then more importantly with the ball, his dribbling is outrageous. Uh, he's getting into all kinds of positions for good shots. Even today, when we played pretty poorly, he probably had the our biggest chance of the game. Not that that was saying very much. We really didn't play very well for the first time all season, but even then, he's still getting a big chance. Or maybe I'm not sure if the challenge is a big chance, but a fairly decent chance. Um, he's been a revelation. Granite Xhaka went from... Because he played as the eight in this little almost 4-1-4-1 uh, last season, and he looked like what you would expect Granite Xhaka to look like as an eight. Kind of, you know, doing his best. Uh, doing some mid-defensive work and getting into maybe getting some good positions, but not really knowing what to do with himself when he was there, you know, kind of getting the same, like, oh, he's so far up, he's getting a nosebleed. Um, this season, he's been really good, and it's been very weird, almost. Like, not, not that Granite Xhaka being good is weird. Granite Xhaka's had plenty of periods where he's been very good, but good in a way that is not very Granite Xhaka. Like, he's he's getting into the box, he's getting into these incredible positions, and get either way if he's getting shots for himself or laying off to other people. He's been getting end product. He's been still not excellent in tight spaces, but a lot better than he has been in the past. Uh, he's just been a different player in both. I'm not even sure he's that. He's probably a bit better in quality than he has been in other parts of the Arsenal career, but just in style, it's been something I did not see coming in any any way shape or form he's always been a six it's always been someone you want further away from goal so he can sit back and pick passes and he's just not been anything like that the season has been excellent at it um which is both surprising because you didn't expect that from in general but also we saw it last season it didn't really go that well like i was very much expecting us to buy another eight to, to replace him with and he has just come in and made that spot his own uh so all, all credit to him he's the, the one of the weirdest Arsenal careers, or really any careers that I've seen, um, a player having a single club. 
Um, then on top of that, uh, William Saliba has been phenomenal. He's, I, I did not think he would ever play for us after we bought, we spent 50 million on Ben White and then gave him Saliba's number. I was convinced. I think I said it on this podcast. There's no way he's ever playing for us. But some credit to both him for being pretty. I think he got jerked around pretty tough at his beginning of the Arsenal career. So credit to him for kind of being willing to move past that, and credit to Arteta uh, and everyone else was involved for repairing that relationship uh, because he is a, a massive player for us. He's just incredible, really good. He might be, he's one of the better defenders in the league, and he's only turned around. Um, so having that, having that kind of almost get out of jail free card. He actually struggled a little today for the first time all season, but he's he's been fantastic. Those three positions up the spine have been huge, huge improvements, specifically Jesus and Saliba. Um, and then on top of that, Martinelli's taken another step up. Saka's been playing well again uh, in the last couple of months, in the last like month, month and a half. Uh, the, everything's just clicking. The positional play is doing kind of creating a skeleton to let everyone work on a basic level and then their, the talent has kicked in uh, and just taken them up another level. It's been lots of both both internal improvements and then also bringing in guys like Salva and Jesus. It's all just clicked and we look great. Very nice. I, I guess for me, looking at the Arsenal team, you obviously spoke about the depth earlier, but the, the positions that sort of don't fill me with dread, but sort of just confused me a little bit of the fullback position. So obviously today there was Ben White and uh, Tommy Esley that started. Uh, and then I think Tierney came on for a little bit. You've also got Vincenko as well. Um, where, who do you think will be the, the starting right back, uh, the starting fullback when, when everybody's fit? Um, and do, do you think that it will change game by game? Or do you think that Arteta will have his preferred um, starting? So I think it, a player like Ben White has obviously done quite well as a right back, but he doesn't have the same attacking qualities that, that maybe a team he has on the left or even Tommy Yasso on the right, although he's not the best attacking fullback, definitely offers a little bit more. Um, but on the other hand, you can't really have a, a £50 million defender on your bench, really, in, a, in an ideal world. So kind of want to get your thoughts on on where do you think that will go when when all is fit and all is well. So, one, your, your assumption that everything will always be fit and well at, at any club, specifically Arsenal, is just, I, I appreciate the optimism. But um, I think it's, it's pretty clear Zinchenko is uh, Arteta's first choice left back. I think he just he plays this very specific role, which actually Tommy also did, has done a pretty good job in his two games since, where he almost operates as another another six in when we have the ball, but then also as a left back when we don't have the ball. Um, and Tierney has tried to do that. He's really not as technically uh, secure as someone like Zinchenko or even Tommy also, uh, especially like he's he, unsurprisingly he's left back and uh, he's not those two-footed and those both Sinchenko and Tommy also are, are extremely two-footed so I do wonder where he's how how much tyranny is gonna how much money he's gonna get but we'll see when everyone is fit everyone is fit ever uh and it seems like Arteta prefers Ben White as his first choice right back I don't know if that is a he's played so well and therefore he should keep his spot um mentality or if he just thinks he's better at the role than Tommy Asu we'll see if well we may see uh, when both Zinchenko is fit and maybe Ben White goes through a run of a couple of some tough games, if that if he stays with him, and it, that really is just, I think, I being Arteta, think Ben White is a better right back for the system than uh, Tommy Asu, or if it's just more 
well, he's played really well. He's I'm comfortable with him there. He should keep his spot. And then if he plays poorly, Tommy Oster can have the chance to step in and take it. Not entirely sure what the who will be favored come when everyone's fit and everyone has had you know some good play, some good play, some bad play uh, in the end. But I think so. I think it's pretty clear it's Zinchenko on the left. Uh, not entirely clear on the right. Yeah, we'll move into Fulham now, Russ. Um, a, kind of a disappointing draw at the weekend, I guess. Uh, although you did come from behind twice against Bournemouth. Um, what are your um, thoughts on Fulham at the moment? And um, I, I was going to put this to you. Uh, when, when we played Fulham a couple of weeks ago, obviously Paulinho didn't play. Uh, and Mitrovic went off injured. And at that point, I thought, I, I think Fulham will stay up if those two stay fit and, and play 30-plus games each. But I think if both of them get injured, or if even one of them gets a serious injury, I think there's there's a lot of issues in that Fulham team, and you see the quality drop off quite quickly. Do you think that's fair? It's fair to a point, Jake. And uh, I want to say this first off the bat before I talk about Fulham. I want to give your side a lot of credit. I watched you play Liverpool, and you didn't deserve that result against Liverpool, that loss. I'm just going to say that. Former Fulham player actually beat you. Which, you know, in some ways, I, I was I was happy for him. But as a fan of the sport and of the Premier League, I actually, I'm going to say this to you, I was hoping, hoping that uh, you would beat Liverpool. I'm not going to lie. And uh, you've been very impressive. And um, I like what you've done under anyhow. I listened to a lot of Newcastle podcasts leading up to it. And it's funny, going into the match, they, some of them had no idea about the situation with Paulinha, and that's going to lead to your question about Paulinha and also Mitrovic. Mitrovic, his health is important. It's very important. I think what we're seeing right now is uh, when he's out, they're not the same side. But the bigger loss, Jake, is Paulinha. Because if Paulinha's not in there, you've seen it. Uh, unfortunately, it, it's difficult to really gauge against Newcastle, but I, I want to give Newcastle all the credit in the world because they did what they had to do. They dominated the match, but without Paulinho and then getting a red card, it's going to be very difficult on Fulham. I don't think you saw the true Fulham side. As you had rightfully said, I think as a starting 11, if Fulham are full health, they can compete with everyone except for potentially Man City. Even I thought they competed well against Arsenal. I thought they played well against Arsenal and were unfortunate not to get anything from that match. So I have faith in Fulham as a starting 11. Beyond that, as you rightfully have mentioned, is an issue. If they can continue to get players back, we still have not seen Man or Solomon. Harry Wilson is just getting back to fitness. They've introduced William in, back into the fray. You know, if Fulham can get their depth right, they should be okay. And I'm going to say it right now, I truly believe that Fulham are not going to be in a relegation battle, that they will be comfortably mid-table by the end of the season. And the reason being is this team, for me, does not recognize not at all. I'm not, I don't see them anywhere like the team under Jokanovic and Ranieri, and definitely not the team under Parker. This team actually has some resiliency, obviously not against Newcastle, but in this match, and in a couple of matches, they've shown some resiliency. They play for the manager. We have a top-class manager, I feel, in Marco Silva. 
he's the difference because he's making some average players play above their head. Miskins, Cabano, Bobby Decadova, Reed, maybe even Harrison Reed. And you can also look at Tim Ream. The situation with Fulham, as you've said, really will come down to depth. If they do not add in the transfer window, especially, I, I think it's going to be a need in the fullback category, potentially also central midfielder, then they're going to be in trouble. But I expect them to do this. And um, I'm, not, I'm not really disappointed with the fact that right now they sit 11. If you would have told me this at the beginning of the season, that they'd be 11th, I would have bit your hand off. So I am thrilled with how they have begun. But it is fair for you to bring up the two players that you did because those two players are key to everything that Fulham do. Alexander Mitrovic and especially Jao Polina. Without him, just not the same team. And I'll even throw a third name in there, and this is going to shock people that maybe have listened to Cottage Talk or have known my thoughts on this player. Anthony Robinson has become extremely valuable to Fulham this season. He's upped his game. And I'm here to tell you, I was really down on him last season. I thought Fulham needed to upgrade, and he just continues to prove me wrong. And he really has become an integral left back to the way Marco Silva wants to play. Unfortunately, when Fulham have had injuries, they've really struggled. Now they have Kenny Tete out injured, and that's caused problems. When you're in the Premier League, you have to really face the facts that you're going to have injuries and you have to have depth. And as Jake just mentioned, if you don't have the depth and behind that, you could struggle. I I have faith, though, that they will find these players that they need to fill in the gaps. But fully healthy, Fulham, I, I truly believe, can compete with almost everyone. Yeah, the second thing I was going to ask you about was the um, the recruitment this summer. Because um, I think we've seen Fulham a, a few years now with the current owners uh, and obviously Tony Khan running it for a little bit, although he seems to have other, other interests now. Um, but we, we've seen the recruitment this summer. Um, Kazar has come in, um, Mbabu's come in, uh, Carlos Vinicius, uh, yep. William Bernd Leno, Andreas Pereira, who's probably been a, the pick of them aside from Gerald Polina, obviously. Feels like each each summer, Fulham Cars they sort of make similar mistakes in the market. A lot of those players, um, you know, if you, if you're coming off from the championship, you'd want to be adding players to your first eleven, and you know you've only really got two or three of those that you'd say would would start every week when everybody's fit. Um, do you think that Fulham have learned lessons from from um, summers sort of past in the Premier League, or do you think that? there still needs to be work done in the way they recruit and, and sort of strengthen that first level when you do come up to the Premier League. Well, I think that they really have learned lessons, Jake. If I look back to the first time they came up under Savisa, they just, you know, spent money and then, of course, becomes the punchline doing a form, right? And now you have doing a force, whatever you want to call it. They spent a lot of money, but they didn't spend it wisely. Let's just say that. Then... Two seasons ago, it was mostly loan deals. And that did not seem to pan out as the course of the season, as it went. You had some very good players there, but most of the players were not theirs. And I think that affected ultimately how that season ended, which was really 
horrible. This time around, I think they targeted two players off the bat that I think have been, will be integral to form the season. And you already named them. Jao Polina is someone that could play, I think, in a, in a top six side. He's that good. He's too good for, for Fulham. I'm going to say that right now. He's probably too good. But you know what? He likes Fulham. We're, I'm happy to have him. But he's at that high quality. Andres Pereira is not someone that I was expecting them to get. They really worked hard to get him. There's obviously a, a lot of things didn't go his way in his career, especially with Manchester United. And I think he's had a new lease on life with Fulham, and I think it's worked out very well. If you look further down, and I think Burn Leno has been excellent too. I, I know the goals that, that they've given up, it looks bad, but I'm telling you the majority of them are not his fault. If I look at the recruitment, the big thing was going to be the defense, along with getting a central midfielder. They took care of that. And a backup striker, Vinicius. We'll see how that pans out. I'm not giving up on, on Vinicius just yet. I think the bigger issue is the fullbacks because they needed, in my opinion, upgrades at both fullback positions. They brought in Kevin Mbabu. As of right now, he has not worked out to the point where you have Marco Silva picking, going with Bobby Decadova-Reed, who is not a right back, playing him at right back. So that tells you right now how he feels about Kevin Mbabu. And Kenny Tete, who I think, can be a starter, a regular starter in the Premier League is just too injury prone. So you can't count on him. Then you go to left back, and I wanted them, like, I'm being honest with you, I was thinking you need to upgrade from Anthony Robinson. And they bring him Kurzawa. He hadn't played in a year. So he's still getting up the fitness. So the problem is, Jake, to your point on the recruitment, I think that they've done well on the recruitment. They were actually shooting higher. And I think some of their targets, especially with the fullbacks, were not their first, second, or potentially maybe even third choice. It's the players that they ended up getting. And we'll have to see if they work out. But they will be the ones that we'll be pointing at if this transfer window is ultimately an overall success. Issa Diop was not a player that I've heard good things about it at West Ham. I can tell you right now, I think Issa Diop is going to fit well with Fulham. I actually want Marco Silva to make him a regular starter. But Silva has gone with Tosin and Reem. But I think at some point, Diop will get in there. And I think Diop is a good fit for the way Fulham play. So it's too early to tell if this window is an indictment on their strategy it's right to question it jake because of the past right now let's just say it's hit or miss right now there are a couple of hits right now there are a couple of misses i'm hoping that some of the misses become hits by the end of the season yeah i think that's fair um i think, I think in the fullbacks position i think one of the players you probably would have wanted is one that's currently sitting on our bench at the moment in target so uh, oh don't even maybe. get me started on that please, please don't get me started on that Maybe it would have been better for everybody if he had gone to Fulham. But uh, <laughs> we move on. We move on. Um, move into player watch before we wrap up with uh, previews. Obviously, there's a lot of matches coming up before the World Cup. 
midweek fixtures this week. Um, and yeah, still still another seven or eight games to, left to be played in the Premier League before we do break. So um, just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on players at your club that haven't been playing as much in the first 10 matches. Um, which of them would you like to see more of in the coming weeks? Uh, in keeping with what I was saying before, um, it'd be good to see Will Hughes given more of a chance in midfield. Um, not the most exciting uh, suggestion, but I think he'd just add a little bit more steel and a little bit more balance in there um, and just give a little bit more support to Dukuri. Um He's had some pretty bad luck with injuries this season, missed Saturday's game against Leicester through illness, and it's probably just about the last available midfield combination we haven't tried yet, so why not? Um, so yeah, I'd like to see him in there for a couple of games before the World Cup. Um, and if I could, I know this is player watch rather than players watch, but I'd like to see Malcolm Abue given a bit more game time as well. Um, signed him from Derby over the summer. A uh, bit of an unknown quantity, to be honest. Not a lot of, I haven't seen too much of him. I don't think many other Palace fans had either. Um, but you know, he's a pacey winger, very skillful. Vieira opted to keep him in and around the first team squad rather than sending him back out on loan. Um, and I just think given some of those struggles that I was speaking about before in the final third, um, I just I, I just think it'd be nice to kind of see him on the pitch a little bit more as well and just give him a bit of a chance and you know might bring something a little bit different. Yeah, so so Jake asked us this question hours before. I still haven't figured out an answer because I quite frankly don't want anything to change. I want all of the players who've been playing to continue playing. But if I do have to give an answer, um, I'd say it's probably Fabio Vieira. Uh, not that I would drop Martin Odegaard for him, but he's an interesting player. He's looked pretty good in a couple of appearances he has had. Uh, so I'd like to see more of him. But I would also totally understand if Mikelo did. It's like, well, I mean, we're pretty good right now. I'd rather not change anything. I totally feel that. So... Um, sure, I guess, uh, again, I'm going to go into players' watch, but for someone who has actually played a little bit, who I would like to get, see get some more game time is uh, Tommy Asu. I think he's really, really good. Uh, he's just a, shut, a complete shutdown defender. He is, does slack a little bit going forward, uh, which I think is more of a problem at right back, but now he's uh, been playing left back the last two matches. I think he's more in that Zinchenko role where he does, he, like, our left back just doesn't overlap that much. That's not really the part, the goal of the role. Uh, and he has, he seems to be pretty comfortable in that he's very two-footed. He's a fairly good passer for a defender, not Zinchenko, but not really any defenders outside of Trent Alexander-Arnold are Zinchenko when it comes to passing in, uh, defenders. So uh, he's he's more realistic for someone who I'd like to see get some more minutes, although uh, if I, like, if one person that I'm probably most intrigued among players who haven't been playing is still uh, Fabio Vieira. For form, I would say a player that is going to make an impact within a season or two. It's going to be the next player that hopefully no one takes from our academy. And I'm just going to say it because I think he might be as good as the others, like the Harvey Elliott's, the Fabio Carvalho's, and the Ryan Sessignons that have come through the academy. You guys will be hearing this name. His name is Luke Harris. And Luke Harris has been scoring goals for fun in the academy under 18s, under 21s, it doesn't matter. It seems every time I look, he's scoring a hat trick. And uh, he's not a striker. He's a midfielder, but he's a midfielder that scores goals. The only issue with him, and he's been on Fulham's bench a good amount recently, is that uh, I just don't, I think he's still young. I believe he's either 16 or 17 at this point. He might have already just turned 17. And uh, 
He just needs to put on some weight. If he's going to be in the Premier League, I just don't think that he's physically up to it yet. But once he his uh, body catches up to his game, he's a player that could be as good as any of those players I just mentioned. So that's a player to look for in the future. His name's Luke Harris. Yeah, that's an interesting shout. I'll keep an eye out for him. And obviously listing off those names from Fulham does, uh, does give you a reminder of how good that academy has been. And I'm sure there's many more that you can mention that applying their trade in the Premier League and down in the Football League. So yeah, yeah, a name to keep an eye out. But we'll move on to match previews. We've got matches this week um, for all of us. So we'll start with you, Sam. Uh, Palace play on Tuesday at home against Wolves. I'm guessing this is a game you'd quite like to win. <laughs> Not that other game you don't want to win, but this game especially. <laughs> yeah, no, it goes back to what I was saying before, really, about your kind of the, these are the kind of games that you probably measure yourselves against more than anything else. Um, and should say managerless Wolves at the moment. You know, it may not be managerless by the time they arrive at Selhurst Park on Tuesday, but we'll see. Um, so yeah, on paper, I feel like it's a game we should probably be fairly confident about. But, um, you know, they got themselves a win, a much-needed win at the weekend, it should be said, against Forest. And I'm always fairly wary of playing a wounded team, um, which is what it feels like Wolves are a little bit at the moment. Um, but, yeah, you know, you have to go into it fairly optimistically. Hopefully we will have enough in those forward areas to to win it. Um, so, yeah, and I, th- I, just, I just think games like this really are the difference between a team like us pushing up the table and being a little bit more comfortable um, rather than, you know, looking over your shoulder, potentially getting roped into trouble. So, uh, so yes, uh, no doubt I'll be walking up towards Selhurst Park feeling rather nervous, but also cautiously optimistic at the same time. And Dan, obviously, Arsenal don't play Manchester City this week. As was scheduled previously, you've got a home game against PSV in the Europa League, um, which you're relatively safe in the group already with three wins. Um, how do you see that game going? Do you think there will be plenty of rotation and maybe a couple of these players you spoke about will get game time there? Yeah, I would think. We've been mostly rotating. For the Europa League games tend to be like three of the front four. Uh, get get a game off, maybe two of the four. Um, so I'd expect at least that, if not more. Though maybe they'll, I, they may go for it here just to try and wrap up the group immediately, uh, since this is the home game. Uh, we'll see. I'm not entirely sure how much they'll rotate. There'll be some level of rotation. I expect the midfield to rotate pretty heavily. Uh, how much we attack, we'll see on the day. Um, as far as how it'll go, uh, PSP is by far the most the toughest team uh, remaining in this group, or the toughest team outside of us in this group. Uh, so they're, if we're going to drop points against anyone, it's probably going to be PSV. But as you say, we are in a pretty good spot uh, with three wins from three. I do believe if we if we win against PSV and then if uh, Bodo Glimpse draw or lose, we are already through with two match days remaining. So uh, that would be nice to happen. But even just being in a position where that's a possibility shows we're in a, in a fairly good spot. So I would expect, since it's a home game, I expect us to win. Uh, we'll see. A lot of it does. With these Europa League games, it always depends on like what kind of side you put out. But I could still expect us to win, uh, and then put us in. We're already in pole position, but you know, further in pole position to uh, get out to the knockout stages of the Europa League. Yeah, and finally, Russ, uh, but you've got a game on Thursday against Aston Villa, um, who seem to be the current crisis club in the Premier League with a lot of focus on Steven Gerrard, who we didn't speak about earlier, but um, right. we should have done. Um, I saw them say against Chelsea, thought they played well. Um, 
the two goals they conceded, one was a, a positional mistake from the goalkeeper on the free kick, the other one was a, a complete brain fart from Tyrone Mings. I don't know what he was thinking. Um, but they did have a lot of chances and Kessel was probably the man of the match. So maybe if they play like that, they will be a, a tougher opposition than perhaps you would think based on how everybody's talking about, um, talking about them at the moment. How do you see that game going? It's a tough match, Jake. It's actually, as uh, you guys are talking about, especially for Fulham, talking about you don't want to be looking over your shoulder. And, and Fulham have had a decent start. We've targeted the month of October as the matches that Fulham really need to pick up their points. And there are three matches that, honestly, I'm looking at, they need six to nine points from. And that's it's going to be difficult. And it starts with Aston Villa. They would be home against Everton. And in between that, going on the road to Leeds. So these are three pivotal matches for Fulham. And Aston Villa, the situation that they have at hand, it's you would think that this is a good chance for Fulham, but it's a, a, a club that, you know, could be feeling that, you know, feeling that they really need these three points, obviously. So it's not going to be easy, but I have faith that Fulham are going to come to play Thursday night and get all three points because uh, I just like when Fulham have a good game plan under Silva especially at home, we are difficult, except for really the only Newcastle match, pretty good at home. So it's a match that I, I feel comfortable with, but uh, it's a match, honestly, Jake, that I really, truly feel for them to start to go where I want them to be. I want them to be comfortable mid-table. I know it's not easy. I don't want a relegation battle. I don't want to be talking about that the entire season. And these are the matches you need to win to avoid that. So I'm going to back my club and say they're going to beat Aston Villa, but it won't be easy. Yeah, I think that's similar, similar for Palace and, and Fulham this week. Two two big home games uh, where you, where you know it could could shape whether you fight relegation or not. So yeah, interesting ones both for both of your teams. But with that, we are now out of time, having just reached over an hour. Um, so thank you, all of you. Uh, Right, and now we are out of time for today. Uh, so if you'd just like to tell people where they can reach you or anything you're involved in, now would be a good time. Cheers, Jake. Thanks for hosting. Really enjoyed that. Um, if anyone would like to find more of my work, they can follow me on Twitter at Sam double underscore cop. Thanks for having me on. I am Dan, and I am still an Arsenal fan, which is a much easier thing to say at the end of this podcast uh, these days. Uh, you can still catch me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fit. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you to all of you for having me on. My name is Russ Goldman. I am the host of Cottage Talk, and you can follow me on Twitter at Cottage Talk. And I also want to mention that Cottage Talk podcast is now part of the TalkSport fan network. It's something that I'm very happy to be a part of, and I just want to mention that. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, you can reach the show at EPR Roundtable on Twitter. You can get me at Jake Jackman with two ends on Twitter. And yeah, just thank you everyone for listening and we hope you can join us again next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 